Psalm 15, 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you would, please be standing. It is to stay connected to God and to each other. Jesus gave us a meaningful metaphor to help make the point. I am the vine and you are the branches, Jesus declared. Jesus calls us into a life of connection before production, a life rooted in genuine love, a life that yields fruit that lasts as we abide in him. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I'm doing this for your own good. These are some of the unconvincing lies that me and some of you heard when we were younger, right before we were disciplined. Do you remember? Yes, maybe some of you still hear those phrases from your parents, from those who are disciplining you. You see, discipline is one of those things that is so important. And although the form and the method of discipline has changed probably in our homes and our families, certainly in schools, I remember I had an elementary teacher. She had a ping pong paddle written on sharp, with Sharpie on the paddle was ouch. It was the ouch paddle. And it was very correctly named. I can tell you. I can attest to that fact. So the way we discipline probably has changed somewhat. We are certainly not getting into that this morning. But discipline is one of those things that is unavoidable in life. No one enjoys discipline. That's the truth. Whether you're on the receiving end of discipline or you are on the giving end, no one really enjoys it. It's painful. It's not pleasant. We don't like to discipline our kids necessarily. Not all the time, and certainly if you're receiving that discipline, it is not enjoyable. We don't even like self-discipline, do we? Self-discipline means I have to make tough choices, I have to make sacrifices, I have to avoid excess. We don't like discipline, we don't like self-discipline. And yet, most of us, if we have matured enough to have a little bit of wisdom, we can look back on those times when we were either administering discipline or probably when we were the recipients of discipline, and we can say, you know, it really was for my own good. It really was helpful. It really, really was productive. I understand why my parents or why my teachers or why someone else disciplined me. We understand it. We may not like it, but we understand it. Did you know that's straight from the Bible? The Bible conveys that very truth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, says this, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, amen, <laughs> but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now here the writer of Hebrews is not just referring to discipline in general. He's not referring necessarily to what parents do with their children. He is talking about what? He is talking about the Lord's discipline. He's talking about the discipline of God. Now that's something we don't talk about very much, do we? 
That's kind of one of those topics we avoid. We know it's somewhere in Scripture, but I don't know how that plays out in my life. I don't know what that looks like. I have this nice, neat, tidy little box for God, and I really can't fit that in there. You know, I can fit the love of God in there. Yeah, that fits just fine, thank you. I can fit the mercy of God in there, the power of God in there, the sovereignty of God in there, and even sometimes the justice of God. But discipline of God? No, I don't, I don't think that fits in there. I don't have a place for that. This morning, just for a few minutes, I want to ask you to find a place. I want to ask you to wrestle with the idea of God's discipline. And not just in a conceptual form that, okay, God disciplines people. I want you to think about how God is disciplining you. Maybe using the circumstances of your life right now, maybe this season of your life, maybe as you look back on the past or a recent season, or maybe as you anticipate the future, maybe challenges that are going to come your way, maybe good things, maybe decisions. I want you to see it through the lens of, could God be using this to discipline me? Whether or not those events and those circumstances are sourced by God's sovereignty or just used by his wisdom, I want you to think about the idea that God may be training you, disciplining you. And if so, why would he be doing that? What is his desired result? What is he up to? You see, I think he's up to this, shaping you and shaping me more into the image of his son so that we would conform to the likeness of Jesus, that we would have about us a cruciform shape that reflects the heart, the life, the teachings, the truth of Jesus. That he would give shape to our lives through his spirit breathing in us and through us. That we would look more like Jesus. But let's back up. Jesus said, I am the true vine and you are the branches in John chapter 15. It's been what this series is based in, this idea of being connected. Jesus says, you are connected to me. As the true vine, there are so many imitation vines out there. As the true vine, Jesus breathes life through us, in us, to produce fruit in our lives, fruit that lasts. And through that connection with Jesus, we are also connected to each other as the branches. And that is so important, this idea of community. We rely on it. We need it so much. And as Jesus works in us and through us to bear fruit, we remain connected to him, and that is his one simple appeal. Throughout that whole passage, remain in me, abide in me, make yourself at home with me, stay connected to me, Jesus says. And as Jesus leans into this vineyard metaphor, he tells us the role of God. Where is God in this picture? Well, we don't have to guess, we don't have to speculate. Jesus tells us, John 15, back in verse 1, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, or some versions say he cleans. It means the same thing. So that it will be even more fruitful. God is the gardener. And he oversees the vineyard. The growth that takes place. The development that happens. And the fruit that comes out of that vineyard. Which means as the manager, as the gardener, sometimes he has to go into the shed and get those gardening shears 
and he has to start snipping, and he has to start cutting. Cutting away sometimes, because he is pruning us. My wife, Carrie Ann, has a reminder on her phone that it will probably go off in the next week or two, and it is to prune the rose bushes in our backyard. And she does this every year, and I'm always surprised by a couple of things. First of all, how early she does it. It's still winter outside. The grass isn't green. There's not leaves on the trees. It seems too early. And the second thing is, is how much she cuts away. I mean, she chops those things way down. It's like when she used to cut my hair, just put the number two guard on, and she would just go to town. I mean, she cuts them way back, and I think, whoa, it's too early, and that's too much. But she knows from experience, she knows that those two elements are so crucial, timing and volume, the amount you cut back, are so crucial to later this spring having this beautiful harvest of roses in our backyard. You see, she is cutting away, almost getting it out of its own way so that it can seek the sun and it can grow and can bear the beautiful fruit that comes from healthy, growing roses. You may not recognize it, but God does the same thing in your life. He knows the exact timing that is best. He knows when to cut and to prune. He knows how much to cut and to prune. And sometimes, let's be honest, it feels like he's taking a little much. Not so much, God. This is really uncomfortable. This is really painful. And yet in his wisdom, he knows. He knows what we need to be more productive, to bear fruit, to seek the light of the sun, S-O-N, sun. And so what does he cut away? Very quickly from the text, I think we can draw out some things he cuts away. He cuts away the dead and the diseased branches. That's what the text says. These are those ungodly branches, the sin in your life, those things that are dishonorable, those things that don't reflect the will and the way of God. You know what they are. And here's what happens on the vine as we strive to stay connected to Jesus. Those sins, those struggles, they become an obstacle. They become a barrier between us and Jesus. They hinder our connection to him. And not only our connection to him, but his connection to us. And so the life that he wants to breathe in us and through us, that bears that fruit, is obstructed because we have sin in our lives. Because we give in to chronic sin, to selfishness, to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put to death. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He says, get rid of it. Make it accessible to God so that he can cut it away, he can prune it, he can get rid of it because it is impacting your connection to Christ and ultimately it is impacting your health and well-being, your spiritual health, the health of your soul. There's something else called sucker branches or water sprouts. These are these little sprouts that usually come up from the base or from the trunk or maybe from the, the, the root of the, the vine. And it's when the vine or the tree is trying to grow more branches, especially in times of distress. But these 
sucker sprouts, these water sprouts, they don't bear fruit. They just take all the nutrients. The first time, first time I heard about water sprouts or sucker sprouts wasn't from a gardener. It was actually from a preacher. Kyle Adelman uses this image to help explain this text. And he says, sometimes that's what God wants to cut away from your life. The sucker branches. <laughs> Those things in your life that aren't necessarily sinful, and yet they rob you of those much-needed nutrients, that spiritual energy, that spiritual food that you need to produce fruit that lasts. And you know what they are in your life, so many things that, again, not necessarily bad things, but they take so much of your energy and your time and your resources. And those things may be keeping you from being all that God created you to be. And maybe in your life right now, God wants to cut some of those away. He wants to trim some of those back. He wants to reset your priorities. Because those things are taking so many resources away from your spiritual growth and development and productivity. And then there's something else that the text says that God cuts away. These are the healthy branches. And this is difficult to hear. But sometimes God cuts away those healthy branches so that they can be even more productive. That's what he said. Those branches that bear fruit, he cuts them back, he prunes them so they can be what? Even more fruitful. And these things aren't sins in your life. In fact, they're in many ways just the opposite. They are good things. They are positive things. You would call them blessings. Now, we probably take them for granted too often. We don't thank God for them. And sometimes we even turn them inward towards self to elevate self instead of elevating God. But by and large, they're good things. And so my question, and you're probably, your question probably is, why would God do that? Why would God prune good things from my life? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want me to be successful? Doesn't God want things to go well for my family and my life and my career? Doesn't God want these things? We ask these kinds of questions. Is God taking this away from me? Is God causing this to happen? And these are very difficult questions. And before we go too far down this path, we need to make one thing very, very clear. And that is this. Everything that happens in your life, every bad thing, every form of suffering, every hardship, every trial is not directly caused by I hope you realize that. There is evidence in the scripture, there is evidence in this world that bears witness to a different source. You see, the truth is, sometimes bad things happen in our lives because we make bad choices. <laughs> we make very poor choices. If I decide to go out and get in my vehicle and speed down the road, I could have an accident, I may get pulled over and get a ticket. And if something bad happens, am I going to say, God, why did you make me get a ticket? Why did you cause me to have this accident? The truth is, that was on me. I was making poor decisions. And sometimes our decisions over time culminate in consequences that are negative. And sometimes it's an acute decision in a moment of indifference or apathy or weakness. And there are consequences. We so often reap what we sow. And sometimes bad things happen in life, and sometimes bad things happen to us 
because other people are making bad decisions. Sometimes we are caught in the wake, either directly or indirectly, of other people's poor decisions, of their sinful behavior, of their choices, which also reminds us that so many bad things happen in this life, in this world, simply because we live in a fallen world where things aren't yet as they should be, where evil resides and Satan is still allowed to have some level of influence and where disease and death still infect humanity. We live post-fall, and sometimes that's why bad things happen. But you need to know that God doesn't just stand by. He doesn't just stand by in apathy or indifference. He is actively redeeming the world. Satan's influence will soon end. Evil will be eradicated for all of eternity. The shadow sides of life will be illuminated by the light of the Lamb of God. And death will be swallowed up in victory. And all will be made new. But in the meantime, know this. God is at work. And part of his work is to use whatever happens in your life and the circumstances of your life to in some ways draw you closer to Christ and Christ's likeness to form you more into the image of his son. So if that means using something negative or bad or adversity or hardship in your life as an opportunity to cut away sin, to remove darkness, to get rid of some of those life-threatening sucker branches that are dominating your life, stealing resources, or to reorient your life so that you can have a stronger connection to Jesus. Or that you will be drawn into a place of confession, or humility, or faithfulness, or thankfulness. Then God will do that. In his wisdom, he knows how. And he will do that. It's very interesting if you look at this text. The word for cuts off or cuts away in the text, it can also be translated as lifts up, raises up. So maybe it's not so much that God is cutting away some of those good things in your life as he is lifting them up, drawing your attention to them, saying, hey, you need to address this in your life. Because it is not reflecting the heart of Christ. It is not advancing the kingdom of God. And maybe it's not inherently evil or bad or sinful, but it's something that you need to look at. Maybe he's lifting it up. Maybe you were here a couple of months ago when I read a statement from Paul Cowdery. He asked me to read this statement to his church family. It's a statement about his recent up and down journey with cancer. He thanked the church family for your prayers and he continues to thank you for your concern and your prayers, your support. And then he shared some great news that the doctors have told him that the cancer has been contained and hopefully eradicated, and we praise God for that news. And then Paul said something that you don't normally hear in a statement like this. The first time I read it, before I read it to you, I thought, wow, that's a new one. I don't think I've ever seen someone say that in a context like this. You see, he talked about the Lord's discipline. Specifically, he cited a couple of verses from Proverbs 3, 
Verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And then Paul said this, and I I put the quote here for you. He said, I realized early on when I was diagnosed that there was a good possibility that this could be the father warning me to refocus on my life and repent of some things before it was too late, which I did. Consequently, the Lord was faithful to his promises. I am so thankful that he loved me this way by discipline, a hard lesson to recognize in our own lives. Now, I want to say right up front, this is Paul's story. It's his This is his testimony. We've got to be very careful about taking someone's story and using it as a template to interpret all of our stories. But this is his story, and who am I to argue with it? Now, did God give Paul cancer? Did he mutate the cells in his body? I don't think so. Even in Job's story, and Job suffered greatly, Even in Job's story, God was not the source of his sickness and his suffering. Who was? Satan was. Did God allow it for a spiritual purpose? Yes. Could that be the case for Paul? Could that be the case for me and for you? Quite possibly. You see, by using hardship, God can give shape to your life. He can give depth to your faith. He can give power to your witness. And he can keep you connected to him or possibly reconnect you to him. He could save your very soul. So let me ask you, what is God doing in your life? What is your story? If you were to write a statement to the church about how God has worked in your life, in your circumstances, maybe in adversity, in difficult times, maybe in great times or or decisions you had to make, what would your story be? What is God doing? What circumstances is he using to conform you more into the image of his son? See, that's one of the things we need to know. One of the things we need to know is that the process of pruning can be painful. Whether it's lifting up or cutting away or a combination of the two, it can be painful because there is loss, there is tension, there is discomfort. Pruning doesn't have to be punishment for it to be painful. Maybe there's a better word than discipline. That word in our context, in our 21st century Western world, means so much and has so much baggage and already has so many applications. So maybe there's a better word than discipline. So let's go back where we started in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. The writer says this, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Remember, he's talking to Christians in the first century who are being persecuted, who are being challenged every moment of every day to stand up for Jesus when standing is not easy. He says, verse 5, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Does that passage sound familiar? That is the proverb that Paul mentioned in his statement. Proverbs 3, God disciplines those he loves. 
Here the writer of Hebrews is, is bringing that proverb, that piece of wisdom, to the forefront as he addresses these Christians who are facing intense persecution. And he's saying, keep in mind, this is supposed to be a word of encouragement. Well, again, we don't associate discipline with encouragement. We are discouraged when we are disciplined. We are disappointed. It hurts. It's not pleasant. It's painful. And yet the writer here says, you need to reframe your perspective on discipline. It's encouraging. Well, how in the world could it be encouraging? Because God's discipline signifies God's love. He says God only disciplines those he loves, like a parent disciplining his or her child. Parents or grandparents, you don't discipline your children because you don't like them, right? Don't answer that if it's not, you know. The answer is no. We don't discipline because we don't like them. You don't discipline them because you're mad at them. Why do you discipline your children, your grandchildren? Because you care deeply for them. Because you love them. Because you want to equip them. You want to invest in their lives, even if it's difficult for you and for them, because you know it will pay dividends later. You're training them. You're bringing them up. That's why parents discipline their children. And they do it out of love. And God does the same thing. And so we go back to Hebrews, and we read more about this discipline of God. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. Let me stop there for a moment. What does he say? Right out of the gates, he says, have this filter, this lens on when you interpret the circumstances of your life. And remember, for them, it was a lot of persecution for their faith. He says, choose to see that as the Lord's discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. He doesn't even say everything that happens to you is God's discipline. He says, look at it that way. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, then everyone undergoes discipline. Then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. That's the outcome. That's the fruit that we bear in our lives through the Spirit working in us and through God pruning us. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So much going on there. First of all, did you notice what he says? Harvest of righteousness and peace. Harvest. Kind of reminds us of our vine and branches language, right? Going back full circle to that vineyard metaphor. The fruit, the harvest that God wants to see in your life is this harvest of righteousness and peace. And he says, that's what happens when you've been trained. When you have been disciplined. When you have been pruned by God. Discipline is painful but it is also productive. Yes, it's painful. No, it's not pleasant. And our perspective in the middle of pain certainly isn't one that is pleasant. We are not happy about hardship. It's only after, sometimes long after, that we can begin to see God's hand at work. We see glimpses of the bigger picture begin to take shape and come into focus. 
We see good grow out of the soil of suffering. We witness sometimes in seemingly small ways and sometimes in great big ways, God begin to redeem just some of our pain. And we get a glimpse of heaven. And we see the growth, the growth that happens in us as our faith grows, as it strengthens, as we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so as we take a closer look at this word discipline, maybe there is a better word, or at least another word, an alternative. That Greek word, pedeia, really means upbringing of a child. That's its root, that's its nature, the upbringing of a child. In the Greek culture, it was used to refer to the education and the training of a child into an adult with the correct worldview, correct perspective, and character. And so it was a targeted training. It was the upbringing of a child. It took time. One of those two steps forward, three steps back kind of thing. You were always going in a direction. That's what this word means. Yes, it's discipline, but it's so much more. It's God training us, elevating us, lifting us up with a target in mind that we would bear fruit that lasts, that we would reflect the image of his son. So how can God use the circumstances of your life to train you, to equip you, to equip you for this life and the next life? We think about physical training. Again, for many of us, that's not pleasant, but we know there's a payoff. We know it's productive. The same can be said about spiritual training. So use whatever word you prefer, pruning, discipline, training. Scripture uses all of them at different times. They aren't necessarily pleasant. In fact, they can be painful, but they are also productive. So what does God want to prune in your life? That's the question. That's where we get to. What does God want to prune in your life? Is it sin he wants to cut away? You know what those sins are. Maybe no one else does. Is it time to fully release those to God? And say, God, I'm right here for you. Cut those things away. Confess that sin. If you can't overcome that sin by yourself, which you probably can't, then it's time to give it to God. Oh, that sounds painful. Pruning is painful. But let God cut it away. Or maybe it's those sucker branches, those things in your life that aren't necessarily bad or sinful, but man, they are just taking so much of you, taking so much from you, demanding so much of you, limiting what you are producing spiritually. Or maybe it's some good things, some great things, some things that he wants to lift up, draw your attention to, or maybe possibly cut away to realign your priorities, to give you new perspective to lean on God when you have nothing else on which to lean. You may be thinking, hey, you're talking about God cutting away things? I am barely hanging on as it is. If he starts whittling away anything, I'm done. I'm gone. And I understand that. And I understand this morning some of you may be literally just hanging on by a spiritual thread. I get it. And so does God. But, but let me ask you this. If you are hanging on to something, 
and God cuts something away, is that the right thing that is forging your connection to Jesus? In other words, if the reason I'm connected to Jesus, the only reason I'm connected to Jesus and to God, is because I need his blessings, I want a good life, I want success, and if something happens and those things are taken away, then what am I left with? I have nothing. Jesus, we're done here. Or some of us, we make a deal with God. God, I will serve you. I'll go to church. I'll try to be good. I try not to use too many bad words. All of that stuff, if you will do this. And if that is taken away, if that is removed, if that is pruned out of your life, then what are you left with? You see, you're trying to connect with God using things that are not the connection points. You see, you can only fall away if what is holding you to Jesus are those things that once cut away, the only thing that is left is you and your faith. A company in Napa Valley explained in a newsletter how they prune their vineyards. And they use the word craftsmanship. They said it's an art form. And the one who prunes the vineyards has to know specifically about that branch and that vine and the surrounding conditions because the way he prunes is different for every branch. And then in this brochure, it explained why they prune. And I like the wording. It said this, because if the vine is not pruned, it reverts very quickly to its wild nature. That's not just a story of a vine. That's your story. That's my story. When we don't allow God to prune us, we quickly revert to our wild nature, to our sinful nature. In this brochure, they say, if we don't prune these things, they start to climb everywhere. They get so big, and they have these long, wiry trunks and these tiny, scraggly bunches of uneven grapes. It's just ugly. It's not good. And that's what happens to us. When we don't allow God to prune our lives, we ultimately revert to our wild nature. We become too big. The sense of self becomes too big, too self-important, too self-reliant. We miss out on the light of the sun. We get in our own way. We don't produce fruit that lasts. But when we allow God to carefully and lovingly prune what compromises our connection to Christ, what stunts our spiritual growth, and what hinders his life flowing in us and through us. When we do that, the Spirit of God produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the fruit that lasts. So again, what does God want to prune in your life? And as you answer that question, I would encourage you to act on it. Maybe it means spending time in prayer. Maybe it means changing some priorities. Maybe it means a time of confession to God or confession to someone else. Maybe it means partnering up with someone and saying, let's do this together. What does it look like? What does it mean? Don't leave it in this room. We don't talk about God's discipline, but maybe it's time. Maybe that's the very thing that's happening in your life right now and you're missing it. So whatever you need to do, I would encourage you to do that. If we can help, let us help. Our shepherds care deeply for you. In just a moment when we stand up, a couple of them and their wives will be in the parlor 
a little room off the hallway right behind me. You can go there, see them, be encouraged by them. They'll pray for you. If you need to confess, if you need to ask for help, meet them there. Or certainly you can come down to the front. We as a church family will wrap our arms around you. Maybe today you're ready to make that commitment. Maybe the word that God is putting on your heart and your mind, your life today is it's time. It's time. It's time to surrender your life. You want life on the vine. You have searched everywhere for life, for meaning, for purpose, and all these imitation vines just come up short. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And he wants to bear fruit in your life, fruit that matters, fruit that lasts. So maybe today is the time that you confess your faith in Jesus and you are baptized, clothed with Christ. Do that today. If we can help you in some way, we invite you to come. Let's stand together and sing.